0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Career Diaries by Elamed, the podcast dedicated to talking about careers in the medtech industry and today I'm really excited to have the chance to speak with Thomas Mininghouse, who is the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Otto Bock, and we're going to be talking about how having a background in general management and operations can actually change and help your perception as a regulatory affairs professional. So Thomas uh, can you maybe give us a brief intro in terms of who you are and what your role as regulatory uh, affairs VP looks like?
1: Hi, Hi Elena, uh, thanks first of all for having me uh, on this podcast. Um, well I'm uh, my, my background is I'm a machine engineer um, with a PhD in Material sciences and I'm now in the med tech industry for more than 21 years, uh, in various positions and various med tech industries like hearing aids and the dental industry. And currently now I'm, um, as you mentioned it, vice president for Regulatory Affairs at Ottobock, which is a more than 100 year old leading med tech company helping people gain new freedom of movement and we develop, manufacture and distribute prosthetic components and solutions which we develop in four development hubs and sell in over 260 patient care centers worldwide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Very interesting. And um, one, thing, one thing that I have to say, so for, for those of the people who are, who are listening and have access to LinkedIn, um, immediately upon checking out your profile, I have to say that you, you haven't followed a traditional path into regulatory affairs, um, <laughs> which is really interesting. And that's why I'm, I'm super excited to, to have this conversation with you. Um, how did you kind of first you know, with a, with a background um, in, you know, machine learning and material science, how did you even get into medical devices?
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a funny <laughs> story. Um, actually, it was the classical way. I was approached by a headhunter who, looking back retrospectively, probably mistook my Procter and Gamble experience in Femcare production um, as deep insights in medical device industry. And that's why I was um, addressed and asked to, and he offered uh, me a position at GN Resound uh, in Germany as the technical director, and that was beginning of two thousand, and basically started my uh, my my MedDeck career path, um, yeah, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And how did the, um, so at the time you were working at, at Procter Gamble, you said, um, and is this the role where you were initiative manager, the project manager for Femcare?
1: Right, exactly. And I was working in operations um, and um, um, we basically rolled out a new uh, production line worldwide. And uh, the first lead, lead lines, production lines, so to say, were located in Carlisle and um, I set them up commissioned them and um, then later on owned the initiative to roll it out worldwide uh, in in all the Procter & gamble sites and um, it was really a new platform a new je- uh, technology because the old production con- um, production uh, conveyors they were driven by pulleys um, with gears, gearboxes, et cetera. And that was a complete change over to servo technology, um, which allowed much faster format changes because mm-hmm. you, yeah, speed matters, especially for a consumer product um, company like Procter & Gamble who want to roll out their new products and new edition uh, initiatives as soon as, and fast as possible throughout mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, I guess that was what caught the eye of the headhunter and thought, well, if the guy knows how to manufacture uh, for Procter & Gamble FemCare products like always and all days, um, then this sounds like medical devices, so he might be capable of supporting us in basically restructuring the hearing aid uh, manufacturing processes, especially for custom-made products. Mm -hmm. And that's how I... that's how I started off at g and Sound. Do
0: you know, it's really interesting, especially because you're talking about um, being approached by a headhunter, because I have to say, if I reflect back on you know my career in the last nine years that I've been doing recruitment, um, all of my placements are good placements. But some of the most interesting ones are um, when I bring people from outside of industry um, or when I bring people from a slightly different industry um, to a position to uh, really shake things up or to do things differently. And I think, you know, for, for companies, you know, they, they very often look for somebody that's done it before, that's proven and tested in that industry in a very similar role. And they typically look for that type of experience. But when you have a hiring manager that is open to, um, actually taking somebody that's a little bit more disruptive in terms of bringing new ideas and that's really where you see transformation as opposed to small incremental improvements um so I think that's really uh, interesting and obviously I've, I've got living proof sitting here in front of me <laughs> talking to you Thomas so I think what my, my my big question is then so when you kind of made your first move into medical devices coming from a consumer goods background what kind of similarities um did you see and what did what differences did you see moving across industries
1: well what they all have in common especially if you're talking about um, production manager operations manager is basically the focus on productivity reduction of lead time um, scrap reduction um, and such kind of things and um, that you actually have under much higher pressure in the um, in the uh, uh, broad industry like um, you have with Procter & Gamble than you have in the medtech industry because usually the margins are a little bit better in the medtech industry and the pain is not, at least yes. at that point of time, it was not as high um, um, to basically uh, manage an operation in such a way mm-hmm. that it would actually have a substantial input on the EBITDA margin of the company's performance. But the biggest challenge at that point of time was that, um, uh, GN Sound was at that point of time, a conglomerate of bought together companies uh, of, from various hearing aid manufacturers. And uh, so we had a broad product portfolio, um, and um, very specialized um, technicians who were partly so specialized that they could only repair certain brands and products besides that the the facility when i started was very not at all suitable for a production site so when we moved into um, a different location at that point of time uh, which was also my my uh, part of my job because i was in charge of the supply chain so I uh, managed the, uh, the relocation. Uh, we basically uh, changed the whole world. We went from one technician repairs a complete device to one piece flow manufacturing, um, which was basically um, we split the work up into different work packages. Uh, understood and evaluated uh, in detail the volumes um, and uh, the process flow that was needed to fulfill the task. Um, And basically over over, approximately one and a half to two years, we were able to improve the performance of the German organization of the operations from being more or less last on the performance list of Uh, GN to becoming one of the uh, benchmark sites. Um, And by doing that and following at the end of the day the 21 CFR and the site conditions that you also have in the ISO world, um, we were capable of reducing turnaround time substantially from two and a half weeks down to three to five days. Um, and reduced also the overall product quality, especially for the custom-made products. And it was, first of all, because I was, and that was one of the challenges in the industry, uh, I had no clue and no idea about hearing instruments um, and what would be perceived as a good hearing instrument and what would not meet our customers' expectations. So I spent a lot of time with the sales team on the road to travel and to see customers, who were usually they took me to customers that were not happy with what we did, and <laughs> so we we played the good cop bad cop game, uh, and and I took all the uh, I took all the blame, rightfully because uh, we in the very beginning we really were not very good, uh, and there was lots of room for improvement, but this kind of approach was the basis actually later on for a better and much deeper understanding for the market, for the customer needs. And it helped me also in my in my later uh, professional career when I started to uh, own my own dispenser shops for hearing instruments um, and basically knew exactly how to pick the right suppliers and what to look out for and whatnot. Um, and um, that was... So the challenge was new products, new market, new dynamics, and, and uh, a completely different, um, how do you call it, um, uh, relation management that you have, especially when you talk about medical device custom-made, uh, then you have it uh, with consumer products uh, who sell in the millions or even higher numbers. Yeah, and... Um, and uh, basically, my, my, my first uh, touch points with the regulations were that I understood very soon that all the process improvements and everything that uh, I applied to the operation had to fulfill the regulatory requirements. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, looking backwards, uh, I must say, that, especially if you take the 21 CFR, 820 regulations, uh, I cannot imagine how you can actually run an operation or even a company other than following those uh, those regulations. I mean, it's, it's really a, a great little booklet. You, you get it um, from the FDA printed in the paper version. It's very small, only a couple of dozen pages thick. But it says it all. Um, it explains how the various departments um, interact and depend on each other. And um, it's actually one of the best management Bibles that uh, I've ever written, I've ever read. And uh, that was exciting to understand the uh, and learn the power that uh, well-defined processes and work instructions actually have, uh, how it helps you to um, understand really the complaints of the customers and dig into it and if necessary open up a kappa mm-hmm. uh, and really spend some, um, some, some uh, in-depth um, analytics on identifying what is actually driving the problem that we see at hand.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, And then somehow it came all together the good thing was that I had the chance to develop into that position and also into the into the side condition that came along with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but at the end of the day, we basically had the benchmark operation within uh, within G and Resound, and we were so good that against other usual common approaches, we consolidated operation volume in Germany, which is very uncommon. Usually, you outsource to low cost operation countries, mm-hmm. um, and um, but the operation was ticking like a clockwork, and uh, in 99% of all cases, we actually held the communicated lead times, and uh, we performed constant um, surveys um, asking customer about their satisfaction in regard to service quality lead time, and, and, and we did mystery shoppings with competitors and evaluated everything from the packaging to the um, to up to the invoice, uh, are they are they readable? Are they understandable? Uh, how many pages is it long? Um, uh, up to um, um, to 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 repair units that were sent back from some competitors. Uh, with uh, with a couple of sweets in there, yeah? mm-hmm. just for lightening up the mood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So mm-hmm. we we looked at that. We were open to benchmark ourselves, and uh, we always strive to to be the best and really um, outperform the market here and the competitive and the competition. Um, mm-hmm. And I could not have done that without the structure. The regulations actually provide you as a as a framework, uh, because. That's really one of the most powerful advantages, is it gives you a framework and an orientation. Another example, when you have issues with your turnaround time, yeah, you should better take a look at um, the qualification of your employees. Are they qualified? Do you have objective evidence for that? Um, is the qualification material, like the work instructions, um, is that adequately uh, uh, written? Is it understandable? Yeah. Do the people know what they actually have to do? Um, and and if you really follow it back and if you really drill it open, um, it, it it is such a powerful tool, this kind of framework and structure to use, that is almost unbeatable.
0: That's so interesting because, you know, like, I I speak to a lot of regulatory people and non-regulatory people and, and sometimes you know like I see this like very clear divide where it's like anything to do with regulation it falls under the hat of the regulatory department and so like it's not within my remit um, it's not you know something that um, I need to really know myself in too much detail. I'll just, you know, ask the regulatory team, or expect them to come forward with the information. Um, and I think this is like one of the first times that I'm speaking to somebody that was talking about being in an operation operations role, but really saying that, you know, um, the 21 CFR is is what did you say the management by bi- the best management bible ever. Um, how <laughs> <laughs> how crit- Like, how important do you think it is to kind of diversify your knowledge outside of your functional um,
1: I think it's it's vital if you want to perform and do a good job <clears throat> um, it's everything you know it's it's all about not thinking in silos but uh, and that's also something that you learn when you deal with the, with, the, with the with the regulations um, everything has a cause and effect And every process has a previous process step. And the only thing how to improve the result as as a whole is to take the previous and the following process steps into account. And that usually means you have to leave your silo and also show interest and understand the um, concerns and the problems of um, of the other areas. So it helps so much Coming to the right decisions if you forget about regulations um, as a as just for the sake of regulations, but understand it as a as a framework and as a guiding principle. Also, I have to say that what you just described and mentioned is obviously a very poor marketing for, for this area of expertise, because What you often see is that um, the the, the regulatory teams are regarded as a show blocker, as the ones that block things off, um, say no to everything, and are very cumbersome in general to work with, which is actually not the case. Um, But what I have have experienced in the past is um, a lack of understanding each other. Um, you know, a good RA guy should never use the word regulations, should especially not quote any regulations, because that's always up for interpretation. And usually the, um, the organization looks for clear and straightforward answers. And for that, you as a regulatory person have to understand what is it the organization really wants. Do they really not want to have a certain article as a, as a non-medical device? Or do they just want to go for a non-medical device declaration because then they think it would be speed up uh, the availability for the market. Um, and uh, it, it's all about really understanding what the organization and the business actually wants. Uh, and then trying to, um, and, for, and for that understanding you need to really look over the fences left and right, and up and down.
2: Mm-hmm. I need
1: to take all of that into considerations.
0: I think that's a really valid point that you make because you know um, a lot of the roles that I would work on, um, you'll see even written in some of the job descriptions that we recruit. We talk about a um, commercial approach to regulatory affairs or understanding the business. And when I talk to CEOs, that's something that you know they expect um, without even knowing that they expect it. Somebody that actually is able to. Be kind of solution oriented and understand how to navigate or how to work through these great areas, um, always keeping in mind the the business needs. Um, And that's something that you just touched on, which was really interesting. But how can you make that practical? So, for all the regulatory people that are maybe listening to this episode, what sort of key questions or um, things can they do in order to uh, position themselves or to get a better understanding of, of that business? needs?
1: First of all, try to sit, try to take the position of the business person you are talking to and try to understand what they really want. And I mean, really want not what they say, but what they actually want. And often, there is a difference in between the spoken word and the inlaying uh, um, uh, wishes and, 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 and expectations here. Uh, And that's the first thing to really uncover and to really find out what it actually is. Once you have done that, once you have understood what they want, you should actually try to identify how you can do good to the business, how you can resolve the problem. So at the end, it's about selling the benefits Um, and doing that ideally without quoting any regulations, without um, referring to them, but really trying to look and provide the solution room um, um, that will really do the business good. And that's when you are already when you have already done the first big step forward. Uh, and regulation, regulatory affairs uh, slash quality management, depending on how the organization is cut can actually step up to what they really can be, namely business enablers and not blocker. Um, enabling the business, that's the, the, the biggest challenge here, but you can only enable if you've really understood what what it is the business actually wants.
0: So so digging more into that, because I think you, you already spoke about um, understanding maybe what that business person, really trying to understand, get to the root of what they want as opposed to what they say they want. Some people might be listening to this and saying, I'm not a mind reader, so how can I actually know? Um, So so what would be what would be your advice on how to actually get to the root of what they want past the words that they say?
1: Well, I I can only I can only share with you my my usual approach here. I usually try to map everything that I hear. Mm -hmm into a process landscape. And I try to figure out when I hear about some of the challenges or requests or expectations, I will try to figure out in a mind map, so to say, what could actually cause or prevent this certain issue from happening or if it is a required and, and uh, uh, wanted change, what could actually drive that? And then I ask more questions. It's, it's about op- asking op- open questions and listening. Listening, I think, is one of the, the major skills and patience that you need there in order to really reveal what's going on. I'll give you an example. Um, when I joined Dr. Bock, uh, I was tasked with ensuring that um, our patient care centers would be MDR compliant. And we've got about, in Europe, 170 patient care centers, which are point of care slash point of sales, where CPOs actually sell uh, prosthetics uh, to patients and fit them. Uh, many of them are custom-made. And, um, and uh, those colleagues take great pride out of their skilled work, uh, are skilled artists and uh, a great listeners and 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 caring people but there's one thing they hate more than everything and that is basically uh documentation administration and especially when they hear the word quality management they start to scream and run (laughs) so (laughs) which is understandable to some extent uh, because we are talking here about usually about craftsmanships. Uh, abilities uh, that we have them and very talented one but not their, their competencies and expertise lies not exactly in business administration so um, there was no way you could actually force them to update their quality management system in order to become mdr compliant so to say so the approach that we went for was we designed an it solution a web-based um, solution and everyone serves the web. So that should be pretty easy to, to work with. And we call it an MDR Suite. Um, and uh, that's basically a landing page from which you can click yourself to various modules. And it starts with the first module basically. And, and that's called, how do I explain the MDR and their changes to my team? Full stop. A presentation package for the local managing directors in the patient care centers who can actually take that presentation and explain to their staff, hey, what is it that's coming? It's lying ahead of us. What do we need to do? The second model contains an animated questionnaire, basically asking what role does my shop fulfill? There are different economic operator roles and depending on the operator, um, economic operator roles you you are fulfilling. Uh, And uh, you have to provide different kind of documentation and prepare your organization differently. So once I went through the questionnaire, they actually knew what roles they were uh, taking in. Then we had this third module that contained a brief presentation about the rights and duties of a PRRC, person responsible for regulatory compliance, according to Article 15. and a template for the nomination letter so they could actually sit down with one identified candidate and explain to them what is it that we expect from you, mm-hmm. what are your duties and what are your responsibilities and by the way here's the nomination letter. The fourth module provide the work instruction of for the four main processes that needed to be implemented with the MDR. Um, and they were all in. Um, um, provided in as a word document so that it could easily be adapted and then later on fit into the local quality management systems and the last module contained a configurator with which they actually choose the products that they fit to a patient and this kind of configurator automatically provided the right documentation set including declaration of conformities uh, ifus um, patient statements etc So we made it look really attractive from a look and feel and how to navigate it uh, with pictures and pictograms. And uh, uh, it was so well-perceived by our own organization uh, and also the the sales organization that they thought, hey, that's something we can actually offer to all of our customers and not only our own patient care centers. So um, how did we... Get there because we, re- we really try to identify uh, what would actually keep somebody on a pay- in a patient care center from implementing MDR requirements, and that starts with very simple and easy things. Number one, he needs to explain it to somebody, and he needs some documentation for that. And then we also—you uh, the, wouldn't believe how challenging it is for some to create a nomination letter uh, in word by themselves. Um, So we provided all that with a very comprehensive Q&A area where we basically collected from all the patient care centers, all the questions that came up during the implementation phase, Mm -hmm. preparation and training phases. And we put together a glossary for all the questions to provide consistent answers. Um, And uh, so, the approach that we went for was even though this is a is a regulatory topic on the one hand, we treated and resolved and solved it um, from a business point of view and try to sell benefit uh, because now you don't have to tell the organization to use it. They will use it because it's so attractive, easy to navigate through, responsive, contains all the information that they need. So uh, that's that describes it actually pretty well um, mm. of how you how you can impact the business from a regulatory point of view
0: mm. that's really interesting as well and that's obviously like thinking outside of the box is so different than just like plonking down a you know the, the printed mdr and saying like hey, this is the new regulation and what we have to do but this is <laughs> <laughs> making it you know um, more kind of like bite size um and i think you really hit the nail on the head with Easy. I think like anyone will do something if they can see that it's in their benefit and it's easy for them to do. And um, we find that very often, um, even with companies that that we're working with, you know, um, we, we we will provide them, you know, interview questions to ask to candidates, for example, you know, and a, a scoring template to help them uh, e- score the candidates, you know, um, and and rate it, uh, rate the candidates on a on an equal scale um, because you know otherwise if you speak to a company and say okay well what questions are you going to ask or how are you going to do you have a scoring template it's effort for them to sit there and create it and actually do the thinking so a lot of the time if you can understand what their needs are and actually the problems that they face and what's as you said preventing them and you give them a solution that's easy to use that meets their needs you don't need to make it um, a mandatory thing to do they will automatically do it because um, they believe in it and they can see how it's actually making their life easier
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's basically you you hit the, the nail on the head. It's about um, understanding your customer needs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to make life easy for your customer base, and we took the same approach. We try to figure out what needs to be true in order to make life easier. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: And and one of the tasks of RA in this in this content is to translate this hilariously thick and unreadable (laughs) MDR guideline and translate it to the language of your company and condense it to what actually is of importance for your company, for -hmm. your position, Mm -hmm. and do this kind of um, condensation and and then think about how you can make this... um, how you can establish it, how you can roll it out and implement it. Mm-hmm. And if something is not easy, then it's probably not the right answer, because things are not that diffi- difficult, they are pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And usually, um, when, when you, you see phrases and sentences and formulations that are highly complex and where you, uh, on the third line, have already forgotten what the first line actually started with it in that sentence. Chances are pretty high that the author of that document and of that sentence has himself not understood what he's talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's all
1: about boiling it down
0: yeah yeah is I, I don't is the saying like if, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old you don't understand it well enough yourself um <laughs> yeah. there's that concept of like yeah 100 percent um and especially when you're 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 dealing with business people it's about being able to be concise and to the point um and simplifying things as much as you as much as possible um you know like if you could why say something in 30 words if you can say it in 15 and the end the person you're speaking to actually still understands the same message. Um, So that's, I think that's hundred percent really, really valuable advice. Um, So coming back to this thing of um, obviously in your experience with general management and operations, you already spoke and gave a very good example of how to um, talk in, Provide solutions that are, are are supporting the business. What other tips and advice can you can you give to us? Um, what else can regulatory learn from gen- general management and operations?
1: First of all, and we already spoke about this: choose a simple language. Always strive to be understand understood correctly. There is no use in quoting regulations when you speak with somebody who has uh, basically is, is, has no expertise in that it's it's meaningless yeah you need to understand his language and you have to be able to translate the regulations into a language that is understood by the by the company you're working for so that's ground level number 1 number 2 really try to understand what is it your, um, your business partner actually really wants. Uh, and most often enough, it's not what they say uh, in their opening, what it what it actually is they want. Uh, you really need to ask, you know, the five why principle, you need to ask why for at least three to four times <clears throat> so that you reveal what, what it's actually about, <clears throat> sorry. And in regard to um, to to to, uh, to general management, um, the 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 biggest advice I can only give, and for what you differentiate a good general management from a not so successful general management, is that they listen and that they trust. And. Understand that it is part of the nature, nature of your regulatory and quality team to say no from time to time. Yeah. But usually it's about finding solutions that are and you a very common term in this regard is risk-based approach, right? Which goes a little bit into the direction that you mentioned earlier with commercial oriented um, uh, RA or quality guys that are being sought for. Um, You also have to be, sometimes you have to be bold. And uh, um, it does not help if you try to drive the car with a cushion, with an airbag, with a safety belt, and and, that, that. Especially, that's that's how I understand the risk-based approach if it is um, fair and, and um, explainable that you leave um, at some point of time uh, uh, certain things out or that you reduce the effort in certain areas. Because obviously when you have objective evidence and proof that certain things work perfectly fine. And when you have the right tools in place and the right procedures and systems established, um, you can go. Um, The regulations give you lots of freedom to navigate and also in a a, um, uh, uh, very um, business-like manner. Through it and to support the business, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So we did. So we kind of skipped out part of your career, though, Thomas. Right. So that we, we had the moment where we were talking about the uh, experience that you had in operations, and then we jumped straight to um, your your role uh, right now as VP of regulatory and all these uh, great solution orientated approaches that you've um, that you've been working on so how did you actually get in so what was the moment where you said I'm actually going to now pursue a, a career or a role in regulatory affairs
1: <laughs> yeah that was also a, a funny moment um, Roger Ratke, the former CEO from Siemens Audiology which is now known as Sivantos uh, he wanted me as a group wide vice president for quality management and regulatory affairs and at that point of time I Um, I had no track record in that area. Um, I uh, had been in in other positions and I, I shared my concerns with him. And I said, Roger, are you sure that you want me? I don't have a track record in those areas. And he said, Thomas, you know the industry, the products, you've run your own shops and you know how the customer tick. We can train you in quality and regulatory pretty fast but it will take years the other way around. So um, we tried it and it worked out pretty, pretty good actually. And um, he was, he understood much earlier than 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 I did, um, that this kind of broader experience, um, this kind of broader general manager and production and operations experience, you cannot place that by the theories Um, and that is an actually foundation actually for um, for future decision making processes from a regulatory point of view yeah and i must admit i've applied the same logic a couple of times since then myself Uh,
0: really yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: because it's, it's also a type of diversity isn't it um, when it when it comes to hiring and if you're hiring people if you're building a team of um, you know all the different kind of diversity that we're, that we're talking about but then also if you actually are hiring a diverse team in terms of the backgrounds that they're coming from and the experiences that they have um, you're bringing a different a fresh pair of eyes you know to the table that is going to challenge the status quo of how things have always been done and That's an example, you know, as you said, that's where you get transformational change for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: But I'm sure that when you were hiring people, Thomas, outside of like the classic um, box, you would have received some pushback or there would have been some risk associated with that, no?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know how it is. Uh, If you are in a hiring process, saying no to somebody is the easiest uh, and and, uh, the easiest way to go. It's saying yes to somebody that requires a lot of guts and is the risk-taking approach here, especially if you um, think a little bit outside the box. But here, I look at much more than just the, the mere um, um, educational background. I look at attitude.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The attitude is there, and if, if we have... The right candidate uh, show and demonstrate business orientation and uh, um, also ambition to to uh, in a healthy in a healthy way um, and also openness to collaborate with others then that's already a very first good step forward into becoming uh, placing that somebody um, mm-hmm. on on a new position mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm
0: yeah 100 and literally any day if you had you know somebody who looks amazing on paper but the attitude is not there or somebody who you know looks okay on paper who has some gaps but they really have the right attitude and the right cultural fit for the company um you know it's not even a question really is it of kind of where where you go um that's really so okay so let's talk about best advice you've ever been given because we've spoken loads about your advice um for, for other people so what has been the best piece of advice that you've ever been given in your career?
1: The best piece of advice was given by uh, by an old manager of mine to me who insisted to never go into discussions with pre-formed opinions, stay open. Um, and disregard any organizational uh, boundaries uh, and just look at the processes themselves and um, stay open and focus on on the business. Always make sure and try to understand what makes life easy for your customer, whoever your customer actually is. If you sell benefit and if you you contribute to make people's life better, then you are bound to be on the right path.
0: Some great advice there. So thank you for that. And it's obviously advice that you're living by, that you've been living by yourself based on some of these examples that you've, um, that you've shared. Is there anybody who like particularly inspires you right now? So who, who would be your biggest inspiration?
1: Well, it's not a person that in- inspires me. It's um, the right attitude in people that I find um, inspiring, depending on their role, their position or whatever it is. Uh, But uh, that's what really inspires me and motivates me. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: When when you speak about, because you've spoken quite a bit about attitudes, how do you, like, what's your formula to identifying if somebody is having the right attitudes for your business or for your team? (laughs)
1: Well, it's looking at how he or she communicates, Uh uh, how uh, open uh, a team member is to um, admit that he was wrong. And there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. It's suspicious if somebody does not make any mistakes so everyone makes mistakes me as well but it's how you deal with that uh, how mature you are and what you take out of that and how you develop then in um, the next time you are in a similar situation that's what i'm looking at um yeah mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. so Thank you so much, Thomas. I think it's been a really interesting conversation, you know, like taking, you know, the, the, the different viewpoints um, and applying them specifically in a regulatory context and what you've learned. And I'm sure people are gonna be walking away from this episode with loads of action points and key takeaways. <laughs> um, so it's that time where I, I ask you the question that I love to ask everybody, the big picture question, which is what is the legacy that you wanna leave on the world?
1: It's very easy. Uh, that I contributed to make things easier and better. That's it. Um, if um, if I leave at some point of time and uh, I'm being remembered as the person that actually made a difference and to the better, that will be it.
0: That's a, a very strong sense of purpose and direction. But um, I, I, I think that's you know, that's very powerful as well, isn't it? Um, but thank you so much, Thomas. I think it has been really fascinating talking to you and hearing about all these solutions. <laughs> and um, to all of you listening in, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Please give it a thumbs up, um, share your comments, connect with Thomas on LinkedIn and listen out for our next episode that will be coming in two weeks time. Have a great day, everybody, and stay safe.
1: Thanks for having me, Alina. Take
0: Thanks care, you, everyone. Us. Bye. Bye i